Thank you everyone for joining us on a Friday night. I know there's many things that you uh, could have done tonight. There are many things that you could have engaged in, but you chose to to tune in and to 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 listen to this lesson. I'm so very thankful for that. Thankful for your dedication in the Lord, and you chose to listen to the Word of God, and that that's going to be the the topic, or rather, the theme of of this lesson tonight. I want to invite your attention to Joshua chapter 24. Go ahead and turn there with me, Joshua chapter 24, as we. Uh, look at that passage and look at that uh, text in Joshua chapter 24. It's a passage with which we are all familiar, Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, where Joshua encourages the nation of Israel to make a choice. And many of us have that plaque or, or saying in our home, choose he this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, paraphrasing, we will serve the Lord. We are familiar with it. We give it as gifts, even those who are in the world. Uh, have uh, that in their homes. And what we want to do tonight is we want to take a look at Joshua chapter 24 and we want to, what, what's that all about? What is uh, that saying all about? What does it encompass? And, and Joshua chapter 24 is such a beautiful chapter. It is a beautiful chapter because it recounts so many things. It, 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 it's a chapter of hope, I believe. It's a chapter of, of cooperation, God's people cooperating with him. Uh, something that, unfortunately, we will not see a whole lot of going forward in Israel's history, but it is a beautiful chapter, and that's what I want us to look at uh, tonight. The children of Israel, let's, let's get into this. The children of Israel, they are on the verge of, of entering into the promised land. The, uh, the conquest of Canaan has happened. They have driven out most of, uh, of the people in, in the land. And uh, Joshua brings the people together. He brings the elders together. He brings the, uh, the, the people together, and he is going to give an address. And it's a great address. When you think about the magnitude of the, of the moment, you know, the, everything that Israel has gone through, everything that has happened, when you read uh, Exodus and you read the book of Numbers and then the repeating of the law in, in Deuteronomy, we read all of the laws contained in Leviticus. And, and when we read that, there's so many things that happen. But here they stand on the, on the precipice of entering into the promised land. They're already there. And uh, they will go to their inheritance. Uh, they've already taken the land and their inheritance has already been assigned. But this is it's such a great moment. It is such a, a magnificent moment. When I think about this moment, I think about the church. I think about the day of Pentecost when, when, uh, when uh, the the, the, the apostles were gathered there in Jerusalem and the Spirit came and, and, and uh, it was just a beautiful, you could, could you imagine just being there, uh, ha- being able to see this thing unfold, everything that has been purposed and planned uh, coming to fruition there on the day of Pentecost. What a beautiful moment that must have been. And, and similar to that, to a lesser degree, obviously, because this is leading up to that, this is a sort of a foundation as God brings his children, God brings the covenant people, his covenant people into the promised land. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful chapter. And so the children of Israel are on the verge of entering into the promised land. They're about to receive that inheritance, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 8 tells us. And what Joshua does in this chapter, I'm going to go over uh, verses 1 through 13 very quickly. Jo- what Joshua does in this chapter, first he talks about the providence of God. As he calls the people together. He talks about the providence of God, and he goes all the way back to Abraham and Nahor, and he says, consider what the, what the Lord has done. Consider how the Lord has worked providentially. And he mentions there that Abraham and Nahor and their, their forefathers, they left the false gods 
beyond the river. Now, keep that in mind as you, you might remember that in verse 14 of chapter 24. Uh, the gods which your father served on the other side of the river or the other side of the flood or the river Euphrates, as some say. And so the, the idea is that Abraham and, and, and Nahor and, and their forefathers, they left their false gods, uh, left them there behind the river, uh, beyond the river, and they uh, serve the one and true living God. And God has purposed and planned through Abraham. He talks about the great and magnificent providence of God from verses 1 through 4. But then also he talks about the protection of God. He talks about how God has protected them all of this time. God has uh, been, been their uh, protector and, and would be their protector all throughout their history, obviously, except when they sinned against God when they uh, when they committed idolatry God would remove his hand of protection but God uh, explains to them uh, Joshua explains to them how he has been their protector from verses 5 and 12 and then also in verse 13 Joshua explains how God has been their provider you know he has shown great providence to them he has been their protection he has been the one that has provided for them and it and Joshua recounts all of these magnificent things that God has done. And after enumerating God's grace, he then, in chapter four, in chapter 24 and verse 14, sets forth a precept. But I want us to pause right there as, as we consider how Joshua goes about doing this, uh, how Joshua goes about uh, speaking to the people. He enumerates the grace of God. He enumerates what God has done all the way from Abraham. And he says, this is the providence of God. This is how God has protected you. This is the provision of God. And he is showing them the grace of God. And then after he shows them the grace of God, he is going to give them a precept. And we'll get into that precept here in just a second. But I want us to consider that that is how the Bible, when you read the Bible, when you, when you consider how revelation is given, when you consider how God has talked to his people over over the span of time, it is always God uh, enumerating, always God uh, cataloging, if you will, His His magnificent deeds to for us. He's He's always showing us this is grace. This is my grace, and then followed by grace, there is always commandments. There are always uh, things that God desires of us. It is always God's grace, and then because of God's grace, because of who He is and what He has done, there are commandments that follow more spectacular. Obviously, in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, uh, for, uh, verses 1 and following, as God recounts, I am the God of your forefathers who did this for you. And then he goes into a list of commandments. We have the same in the gospel of Jesus Christ, where God tells us, this is what I have done. I've sent my only begotten son into the world so that you might live. This is what I, would, uh, what I want you to do in order to be saved. And so this is something that is that runs throughout Revelation. You can see you can see it throughout the scriptures as God tells us about what he has done and then God gives us those precepts. And this is exactly what happens here in Joshua chapter 24. He tells them about God's providence, God's protection verses 5 through 12 and then also God's provision in verse 13 and then he gives a precept. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14. Notice what Joshua says to the people. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And so this is a precept that is issued to the children of Israel. This is what God desires from his people. 
uh, from Israel to now, it has always been what God wants from His people. God desires us to serve Him in sincerity. Make no mistake, God is not asking the children of Israel for a favor here. God is not asking them, if you have the time, whenever you get around to it, when you get into the land, it would be great if you serve me. No, this is a command. This is an imperative here. This is a command from God. It is a command we understand, generally speaking, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, after Solomon came to his senses, so to speak, and he, he realized that there is only one thing that we ought to do, and that is fear God and keep his commandments. That is true and that is right. That is the whole of man. That is man's all. That is what man is supposed to do, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Exactly what Joshua is saying here. The psalmist said in Psalm 18 and verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. He is indeed worthy of all honor and praise. He is the only one worthy of all honor and praise. In Revelation, John wrote Revelation 4 and verse 11. He wrote, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You have created all things. It is created for your pleasure, for your glory. And he says, You are worthy of all honor and praise. And so when we consider the great God of heaven, when we consider this precept in Joshua chapter 14, it is a general precept. We ought to serve God in sincerity. We ought to fear God and keep His commandments. But more specifically to the children of Israel, it is a precept given to them. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, they have heard this before. And when we consider the Decalogue, the first thing that God says to them, the first thing that God gives to them in the Ten Commandments as referred to, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Notice this, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And so the, the nation of Israel, a different generation then, they've heard, they've heard this before. They, they know that they are supposed to serve the Lord. And once again, they are reminded of this precept. Once again, they are encouraged to do this. Once again, they are brought before the Lord, so to speak. And Joshua delivers this message and he says, you need to serve the Lord in sincerity. You know, we have a, a choice. We have a choice to serve God the way we ought to serve Him, or we can serve something else. Now, some people try to do both. Some would like to serve self. Some would like to serve the pleasures of this world and at the same time serve God, but really such cannot be done. We ought to serve God and God alone. We have to have our minds focused on Him as being the object of our devotion. But some, they, they want to do both. And when you, when you want to serve God and mammon, we might say, what you're doing is, number one, it's irreverent. It's irreverent to do such. You know, God predicated the worthiness of His service to them, to the nation of Israel, and as we said all throughout the Scriptures, He predicates the worthiness of His service based upon the wealth of His grace. Based upon the wealth of His grace. First, God told them, this is what I've done for you, and this is what I desire from you. And this is what God has done all throughout the Scripture. When you, when you consider Revelation, when you consider, the uh, not the book of Revelation, but Revelation in general, all the way from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. And immediately we know what? 
there is a God and we can know as we read on what he has created, what he has, has made for us indeed, that he made us. And so consider here that God predicates his, uh, the worthiness of, of service to him based on uh, he, the wealth of his grace. And so the creator, the sustainer, the provider and protector and redeemer of our lives, that is who he is, is supposed to share a stage with someone or something else. That's irreverent. That's irreverent when we consider when we're trying to do both, when we're trying to serve the Lord and yet serve our own interest or serve our own pleasures or serve our own ways or serve the things of this world. Or as John chapter 8 and verse 44 says, of the Pharisees and the scribes become servants of Satan, doing the things that he would uh, desire us to do. It's irreverent. It's wrong for us to do such. You know, when Jeremiah was pointing out the foolishness of idolatry, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 5, notice what he says. They are upright as a palm tree, but cannot speak. Neither uh, they must be born because they cannot go. They, they must be carried because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them. For they cannot do evil, notice this though, nor can they do any good, nor can they do any good. They do not have the ability to do anything good for you. They do not have the ability to provide for you the things that are essential. And when we consider things that are of great uh, essential necessity, what do we have? We have salvation. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Or what shall a man give if he loses his soul? And so the Lord has provided for us salvation, but not only so. He has provided for us everything that we see. He has sustained our lives. He has provided for us. He's the sustainer and the provider of our lives. And so when we then decide to give our devotion, when we decide to give our attention, when we decide to make an idol of these world, of this world's things, it's irreverent. It ought not to be done, but yet some do that. But not only is it irreverent, we also have to understand it is impossible. It is impossible. Matthew 6 and verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters for either we will hate the one and love the other, or either he will be loyal to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here is the reality of the matter. If you are trying to balance God and this world, one of them will be neglected. One of them will be neglected. Now, ideally, if you choose God over this world, this world will be neglected, and so it should be. This world and the sinful things of this world ought to be neglected. It ought to be something that is cast aside because we have chosen God. But often, more often than not, when, when people are trying to balance both, when they're trying to balance maybe an ungodly lifestyle and God at the same time, when they've got one foot in the church building and one side out of the world or one in the church and one out in the world, uh, as I heard someone say, uh, what usually happens is that God gets put, uh, gets put on the backbone. God is the one who is, uh, who is neglected. And so usually that is what happened. Worldliness is contrary to godliness, and it is impossible to choose God and this world at the same time. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. It can only be one. And God desires for you to choose him. Israel then were asked the question. They were asked the question, you need to choose God. You need to make a choice. And we too certainly have that choice ever before us every day. We have an opportunity to renew our choice as Christians. Because we've already chosen God in baptism. 
We've chosen His Son to be our Savior. We, we immersed ourselves in, in, in water for the remission of sins, and, and we have accepted the Lord as our Savior and our Master. We have made that choice, but it is a choice that desires to be made every single day. We have to continue, Matthew 16 and verse 24, die to self. We have to continue to, to make that choice or to hold on to that choice and make sure that we continue to serve God and so here is the precept that uh, Joshua uh, lays out before them. He says to them, you need to serve God but the, in sincerity. But then what Joshua does is he gives them a preference. Here's a precept, but this is your preference. The righteous God of heaven will not impede the free moral agency of his creation. Is it needful for us to serve God? Absolutely. There is nothing more right than to serve the Lord God of heaven. Is it advantageous for us to serve God? Yes, it is eternally advantageous for us to serve God. There is nothing more advantageous than serving the God of heaven and walking in his ways. Yet, in order to protect the sanctity of freedom, choice is always involved. Choice is always involved. God is not going to impede the free moral agency of his creation. And so what Joshua does and what God does through Joshua here is he provides a preference. He provides a choice for them. Here's the precept, serve God in sincerity, but it's your choice. Notice what he says. If it seem evil unto you, verse 15, to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served who were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The precept to serve the Lord in sincerity cannot be fulfilled in the absence of free will. Any service rendered to God that is involuntary cannot be done in sincerity. Let me say that again. Any service rendered to God that is involuntary, cannot be done in sincerity. This, there has to be a choice. And this, uh, this is their choice. Their, and their choice, he says, must proceed from a willing heart. It must proceed from a sincere heart, a heart that desires to serve God, a heart that wants to serve God, not is made to serve God. And so that is the key here of free will, or that is the importance of free will. There has never been a time when God superimposed his will upon man's free will. There's never been a time when God says, I want them to do this, and regardless of what they do, or regardless of what they, I'm just going to control them, and they're going to do exactly what I want them to do. No, we understand, consider in the garden, as God has man in the garden, and he has placed man in the garden, and he told them, do not eat of the fruit of the tree, which grows in the midst of the garden. For in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And so what did God do? He gave them a choice. He put the tree there. He did not put a fence around the tree, if you will. He did not uh, uh, say that, listen, you, you, you can't get to the tree or, or, tell them, or, or program them in such a way that they are not able to do it. No, he provided for them choice, free will. Israel has the same opportunity here. You need to choose. Now, inevitably, when I teach about the fall in the garden, the question will arise, well, why did God give us free will? Why did he give us the ability to choose? Why, did, do, why do we have free will? 
Could God not have just created us in such a way where we just do whatever he wants us to do? Well, the question, although well-meaning, is not only questioning the wisdom of God, but also demeaning the essence of, of free will. Free will allows us to reciprocate love. Free will allows us to give love back, if you will. I appreciate so much the godly men and women who have chosen to give their lives to the Lord, who have chosen to live the way God uh, wants them to live. You have chosen to live the way God desires you to live. We are not programmed to love God. We choose to return the love that He has for us in kind. And this is how God wants it to be. This is how God desires it to be. And free will, free moral agency makes that possible. How could Israel possibly serve Him in sincerity without Him giving them, or without Him giving them a choice? How could they serve him in sincerity? Remember, the, the command, the precept that Joshua lays out is serve him in sincerity. You see, you could serve the Lord or you can have a pretense of service, but it may not be sincere. And so there cannot be any sincerity attached to that service if they do not have a choice. Let's make an illustration. I like to make this illustration when it comes to free will. Let's say, for instance, you had the ability to make an android, to make a robot with complete human features, uh, and, and this robot is going to be your friend, this robot is going to be your spouse, whatever the case may be, you're going to marry this thing, and you program the thing to, to say the words you want to hear, you program the thing to, to engage in, in activities that you wanted to engage in, and so you go for long walks on the beach, and uh, you, you go running, and you do all of these things. The, the robot sits down and watch TV with you, and you're sitting there holding hands, and, and it's just great. It's just wonderful. And the robot whispers in your ears and says, I love you. But deep down, you know, deep down, you would absolutely know that the only reason that robot is doing that is because you programmed it to. You see, if you were to change the programming, if you were to change the algorithm, that robot would go to someone else and do the same things that it did to you. Why? Because it was not sincere. It is, it is not real. And so that's what we would be without free will, nothing more than programmed flesh and bone. And God does not desire that. God does not desire that from, uh, from His creation. That's not the way He created us. John said, we love Him. Why? Because we're programmed to? No, because... He first loved us. Our love is given back to God when we realize what He has done for us. There is that grace and precept once again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. And so that would not be true without free will. It will have to read, we love Him because we are programmed to love Him. But that is not the case. Our relationship with the Father is made so much more special because of free will. Because we have a choice and we made a choice. And our choice is God. And so Israel, he says, the choice is yours. Serve God in sincerity. And free will certainly allows us to reciprocate that love. But then also free will provides or proves, rather, that we reverence the Lord. You know, when Satan came before God and, and, and Satan was asked by God if he considered the righteous servant Job, this is what the Bible records about that incident. Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Read it with me. Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. This is what Satan says. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge round about him and his household and all around? Uh, he has on every all around he that he has on every side. 
You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely cause you and uh, uh, he will surely curse you rather to your face. And so Satan approaches God or rather when Satan comes before God and God asks him this question, Satan uh, averes this. He says, the reason Job is living so righteously, the reason he is living the way you desire him to live is because you've been protecting him. You've put a hedge around about him. You've been giving him everything he desires. But here's the if you remove all of those things, God, if you remove it, he'll leave you. He'll curse you. Now, we know Satan is not omniscient. Why? Because he was dead wrong about Job. And we understand if God made man without free will, Satan could approach God with the same type of argument. Satan could approach the God of heaven and that he can say, God, they don't reverence you. They don't serve you in sincerity. They don't do it because they want to. They do it because they have to. And what would God say? What would be God's rejoinder? What would be his rebuttal to that argument or that accusation that Satan would level against God? And he certainly would level it. Nothing will escape him in indicting God. His accusation would have merit, brethren. You see, if we were we did not possess free will, if we were not free moral agents, if we were but robots controlled by God, if you will, so to speak, then our reverence to the Lord is not sincere. It's God who makes us reverence Him, and Satan has an accusation against God. But God be thanked for the ability to choose. God be thanked for freedom, for free moral agency. Usually when we consider freedom, when we look at the freedom we have in this country, you know, freedom is, was not made in America. Freedom was made in heaven. Freedom is something that God has given to His creation. It is inherent in His creation. And obviously, sometime man comes along and decides he wants to take that freedom or wants to imp uh, impose himself uh, over man. And, and we understand that to be wrong. But we understand this freedom that we have, this free will that we have comes from God. There truly is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? We've chosen to be there. We desire to be there. and so. Even though the Lord says here, he says to Satan, even though you have terrorized them with temptation, even though your servants have persecuted them with passion, even though life has plagued them with adversity, their reverence for me is not involuntary. Their reverence for me, they obey, they reverence me and obey me because they want to, not because they were forced to. Israel, the choice is yours. God puts it in front of them. God says, here's the precept, serve me in sincerity. And then he puts it on them. He says, the choice is yours. The decision is made abundantly clear. It's made abundantly obvious when you listen to what is being said. He said, you have a choice to serve the gods on the other side of the river. Now, remember in verses 1 through 5, where he recounts the providence of God, and he talks about how, uh, Nahor, uh, how Abraham and Nahor, how they left the false gods and serve the gods of, of heaven. And so what essentially what he is saying is you want to, to serve the, the false gods that your that your your forefathers left. Essentially what it is is you're walking past the dumpster, if you will. Uh, I like this analogy, you're walking past the dumpster and somebody had thrown a false god in the dumpster and you're walking past it, you just happen to see this false god and you think to yourself, man, I'm gonna I'm going to polish that thing off. And you set that false god up in your, uh, in your house, and you now serve the thing that, it, that was in the dumpster. How foolish is that? But that is essentially what they would be doing if they were to serve the gods 
on the other side of the river. Abraham got rid of those gods and served the God of, uh, the God of heaven. Naor got rid of those gods and served the God of heaven. And so the choice is clear here. But then also he says you can choose to serve the gods of the Amorites that could not even protect them from you. So how foolish would that be? Here you are in their land. You've taken the land and their gods could not protect them. And so why would you serve them? And the sad reality is Israel would forget the foolishness of that action, and they would actually serve the Baals. They would serve uh, false gods. They would go into idolatry, and they would eventually go into captivity. And so Joshua says, Israel, the choice is yours. It's made abundantly clear there's a foolish choice over here and a foolish choice over here. The only true and right choice to make is to serve the God of heaven, the one and only sovereign God, but the choice is still yours. Joshua then reveals his decision. And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I cannot make this choice for you, Joshua says. I cannot force this choice upon you. All I can do is lead by example. That's all I can do. And that's all we can do, brethren. Whether it is with our families, in our own homes, whether it is with uh, our extended family or friends or in society in this world, we cannot force people to serve God. We cannot force the gospel down their throats and say, you have to obey this or else. That is not how God has sent us forth. We can tell them what God wants. We can show them the grace of God through His only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, but the choice is still theirs. The choice is still theirs to make. And just like Joshua puts this choice in front of, 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 of the Israelites, the choice was put in front of us, and we chose to serve God, and so too we put the choice in front of the world. Here's God. Here's what He's done. Here's what He's going to do. Here's the blessings that are found in Him. Make a choice to serve Him or not. And so what Joshua is doing here, Joshua is leading by example. And please keep in mind, you know, Joshua, as he proclaims this, Joshua is in his old age. You know, it's not the case that Joshua is now saying, as for me and my house, we will now start serving the Lord. No, Joshua has been serving the Lord. Joshua has been serving the Lord for a very long time. He's just reiterating. He is just restating. This is what we have done. We've served the Lord, and this is what we are going to do or continue to do. And so, Christian, the choice to serve God or not, is yours. The choice to serve God in sincerity has always been yours. The question is, are you doing such? Because it is yours, you also have to understand that you bear full responsibility for it. Because the choice is ours to serve God, because we have free will, we bear full responsibility for it. You own it. You own the consequences, good or bad. Excuse me. <clears throat> The reason every man is accountable for his own sins is because every man has the ability to choose not to sin. Because we are free moral agents, we are accountable for our own actions. I cannot point to someone else and say, well, I, I've, they made me sin. No, they may have influenced me. They may have led me down a wrong path, as many do today. But at the end of the day, I am responsible for my own sins. I'm accountable for them, Ezekiel chapter 18. And so here in the book of Joshua, what we have is we have a precept. 
where Joshua has enumerated the grace of God, his great providence, his, his protection, his provision. He has given them a precept, serve God with reverence, uh, serve God in sincerity. But then also he said, uh, what is your preference? He gives them a preference, says it is your choice because of free moral agency, because of free will. You have to make this choice. And notice then in verses 16 through 17, notice the proclamation of the people. Joshua chapter 24, verses 16 and 18. Notice what it reads. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he that brought us out of uh, brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed and the Lord drave out from before us all the people even the Amorites which dwelt in the land therefore we will also serve the Lord for he is our God this is absolutely great this is marvelous. Everyone is on the same page. The land is being conquered. The people are cooperating and God is glorified. This is such a different picture from what we have in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Remember that picture as they are about to enter into the land and the Lord sends out the, the spies to go check out the land, not to see whether they could conquer the land. The land was already theirs. The Lord is just saying, go check it out. Go, go look at everything that is there. And that's what they did. And they come back with this horrendous report. We can't do it. We're going to die. Uh, we, we, failed, we, we, failed, we will fail before we even start. And uh, in there is recorded for us the people, especially chapter 14, is the people's rebellion. And they failed to take the land because of their unbelief. They chose fear over faith. They feared the, uh, the people of the land instead of having faith in the God of heaven who has been protecting them and been providing for them. They chose to cower and run back to Egypt instead of conquering a land that was already theirs. They said, let us make captains and let us return. Let us go back to Egypt. Back to what? Egypt was left in ruins. Its leaders were destroyed, and you want to go back there? But that's what they desired to do. But here we see such a different picture. This is a completely different picture. The people are saying, we're going to serve the Lord. We're not going to serve the false uh, those false gods. We want to serve the Lord because look at everything that He has done for us. You know, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 11, the Lord is responsible for this response. The Lord asked Moses this question, How long will it be ere these people believe me for all the things that I've done for them, for all the signs and the wonders that I have done in their midst? And God was saying they should have come to a point where their faith was mature enough to believe in him because of everything that they've done. But up until that point, Numbers chapter 13, as it recorded there, they did not have the faith they needed to enter into the promised land. And all of those people, all of those people, 20 years and over, they died. The generation that you see now, that you read about in Joshua chapter 24, it's not the same generation. It's not that same faithless generation. It's a different people. It's a different group of people. It's a people who have come to appreciate who God is and what He has done. This generation has been 40 years in the making. And so Israel is composed of a new generation. The old faithless generation died in the wilderness per the judgment of God. And God raised Himself up a new generation. They are picking up where their ancestors failed, we can say. And we're going to do better, He says. We're going to to, to we're going into the land and we're going to do what God would have us to do. Is there anything more beautiful 
Is there anything more beautiful than Christians saying, we will serve the Lord? Joshua put the precept in front of them. He said, it's your preference. And they come back and proclaim, we're going to serve the Lord. Is there anything more spectacular than Christians saying, false teachers? No, absolutely not. We're going to serve the Lord. Sin in the camp? No, we're going to deal with it appropriately according to the scriptures. We will serve the Lord. Trials of this life wants to wear me out and, and cause me to quit? No, we are going to handle them. And God is my strength and He is my refuge. I will continue to serve the Lord. Persecution is on the rise. They're talking about us. They're talking about getting after Christians. What are we going to do, run and cower? No, we're going to continue to serve the Lord. Is that not great? And that is certainly the, the imagery uh, that, that is sketched for us as they stand on the apex of, of going to the inheritance. They are saying, we will serve the Lord. And that is certainly a choice that we should make as well. But then consider this. Joshua has given them a precept. He said, this is your preference. This is, this is what you desire. You have free will. The people proclaim we will serve the Lord. But then Joshua, he says, I want you to process this. You need to process this. This is a big decision. Joshua 24, verses 19 through 22. Notice what it says. Joshua 24, verses 19 through 22. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God, and He is a jealous God, and He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then He will do, He will, uh, He says, then He will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that He has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves and serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Joshua says, hold up a second. Just step back. This is an important decision. This is not a decision on whether you're going to target a Walmart. This is a great decision. This is an important decision, and you need to process this decision. You need to think about the consequences of this decision. If you go back on this covenant, the mighty God will consume you. God is not to be trifled with. This decision is important. This is a serious decision. You don't trifle with the God of heaven. This is a lifelong commitment, is what Joshua is saying. If you go back on your word, the mighty God of heaven, He will do you hurt. This is a life and death decision. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 19 through 20. This is a life and death decision. Did someone, did someone warn you about your choice before you became a Christian? When you sit down and study with individuals, do you warn them about the decision that they're about to make? We usually don't do that because we, we want to get them in the water. We want to get them wet, so to speak. You know, we just want to dunk them and so that they can be saved. Yes, but have we sat down? and ask them to do what Jesus instructed. Consider what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25 and 27. Great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father or mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, he has his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. The multitudes are following Jesus. Is that not what Jesus wants? Yes. He wants them to follow him. He came to die so that they might be saved. But Jesus turns around and he says, just like Joshua, you need to process this decision. 
you need to think about this. If you are not willing to go against mother and father and brother and sister, don't come after me. The Lord wants them to think about the consequences of being a disciple, the consequences of being a, a, a Christian. And, and so he warns and he says that this is preventative. We won't take the time to read it. Uh, for your notes, Luke chapter 14, 28 and 33 says this is preventative. It will keep you from quitting down the line. Jesus is trying to prevent us from uh, entering this walk of faith with our eyes and our minds closed off to reality. He wants us to understand, listen, there are some serious things that are going to happen here. Your own family might desert you. Your own family might be against you. Are you ready for that? Have you processed this decision? You know, the Christian life is the abundant life. There is no better life. There's no better life to live if you're living, if you're living it right. But we would be remiss if we preach, teach, or believe that it won't be difficult. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be trials that wear us down. There are going to be things that, that try to hinder us in our walk with God. And, and so, Christian, you need to choose God. But when you do, you know this. At times, you will have to make some hard choices for righteousness' sake, and those choices may come right to your doorstep, is what Jesus said. And that is exactly what Joshua is warning them about. You need to serve God. This is an important decision. It is not a decision that is made with a cavalier attitude. Joshua says to them, you are witnesses against yourselves. You are witnesses against yourself. If you go off into idolatry, which they did, this testimony from your own mouth will speak against you. You are witnesses against yourself. Christians, we made a choice as we conclude here, as we, as we end this lesson. We made a choice to serve God. We confessed His good name, the name of Christ, and we willingly entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord. If we choose to leave God, that good confession that we made, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, I believe that He is an authority and that He has authority over me, that good confession that we made will be used against us. When we leave, as the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. He said to them, if they go back into Judaism, if they go back into it, there, there's no sacrifice back there that can wash away your sins. When you leave, you will be lost and it will be on your head because you are responsible. Israel was brought before God, a great and wonderful assembly, Joshua chapter 24. See the providence of God. And see how He brought you to this point. Look at His provision. Look at everything that He has provided for you. Then also consider His protection. This is the magnificent grace of God. Therefore, take this precept and serve the Lord in sincerity. Declare your preference. What will it be? And process that decision. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. As we near the end of this year, as we come to the conclusion of yet another year, Lord willing, it stands. Will those be your words? Will you echo the words of Joshua 
Will you look at everyone who is around you? Will you and your family say, it doesn't matter what happens in the world, it doesn't matter what they do, it doesn't matter what they say. We are going to continue to serve the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. I thank you so much for your attention. Our Father in heaven, we come before your throne, grateful, thankful, Lord, that we can call you God. Thankful that we can be found in your Son. Thankful, Lord, that we have indeed been forgiven of our sins. We know that it is your magnificent grace which has made this possible. We know that it has indeed been, Lord, the giving of your Son that allows us to be with you for all eternity. We're thankful for everyone, Lord, who is listening in. We're thankful for those who will watch later. We're thankful for the decision that has been made, Lord, by all who are called by your Son's name. We're thankful, Lord, and we ask that you may be with us as we continue to live that decision, as we continue to encourage others to make the same, to choose you and to serve you in sincerity. We pray for the work, Lord, that Jonathan and Eric are doing. We pray for their fruitfulness, Lord, and we pray that you may continue to bless this work. Pray, Lord, that it above all things may bring glory to you. In Christ's name, amen.